Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. Here's this week's message. I'm going to read for you today from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. This passage of Scripture contains within it the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to say that up front because I feel like the Lord was directing me uh, during the first part of the sermon to do something, or first part of the service to do something I haven't done before. And that's to make this just a little bit more participatory. Uh, So, uh, in a little bit, kind of midway through the sermon, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I'm going to ask you what the Lord's Prayer means for you. We pray this every week. And maybe, maybe there's a line in it that's particularly meaningful for you. What is it about the Lord's Prayer that's meaningful to you when we pray this? Whether we pray this every week on Sunday or whether you pray this at home, what is it? So I'm going to ask you. And so... Yeah, this is my first time in my years being here. We're in the middle of my sermon. I've stopped and had a little back and forth, but we're going to do that, okay? And so, uh, and uh, I don't know, I felt the Lord impressing me to do that while we were singing. And I said to him, I said, you know, my notes are like longer than they usually are. The sermon's already going to be long, (laughs) but here we go. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 14. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so they can be seen by others. Truly, I tell you. They've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Everything in our faith is supposed to be about what we are doing before the Lord. He begins the statement, hey, whatever practice of piety you have, do it before the Lord, before doing it before others. Make it a priority that everything that we are doing is about, hey, I'm testifying to what God is doing. I'm not trying to make a show. I'm not trying to do anything like that. It's always about what we are doing before the Lord. And so he immediately goes into almsgiving, giving as, as a part of a practice of faith. And giving alms, that is, helping out those who don't have the financial means to take care of themselves, is and always has been a faith act. It's not just charity. It's not just uh, doing something because uh, to help or because it makes me feel good or something like that. It's always been considered a faith act. Giving is an act of faith. 
when I was uh, a child growing up in the church, everything about like online giving and things like that and debit cards that was just and how churches could utilize that was starting to become like the thing and people were starting to wonder oh was this going to change the way we do offerings this going to change the way we do giving and now in fact if you've looked at our bulletin you can even see hey there's all kinds of ways to give you can text to a number you can you can uh, give in any number of ways online through an app uh, all those kinds of things But even in this electronic age, where everything can be automatically debited or or, uh, everything can be electronic or, or even giving sometimes can be placed in a secret giving box, we continue to do offering in the church because we recognize it is a part of worship. It is a faith act. Giving has always been a part of our faith and in part because it is supposed to help bless and take care of those around us who need that. And, uh, and so that is a part of what giving is about. And if I could just do a little bit of a, an aside, as much as we have a lot of different methods in which in this church giving is made possible, uh, without a doubt, I think in-person giving is ideal as much as possible for a couple reasons. One, of course, is to do it as an act of worship if you're able to make it here and do that. The other, of course, is the entirety of it goes to the work of the church or, or the, uh, what the church uh, wants to do and, and not just, um, I don't know, paying fees <laughs> uh, for every swipe or every kind of online transaction. But besides that, what he says to the people is, in fact, we should be so concerned about taking care of people that we, we're not even really paying attention to what's going on. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. He says, don't go, out, don't go out and make a big announcement about it like the people are doing when they're blowing their horns. It'd be like going out the store and seeing the person with the Salvation Army ringing the bell, and before you put your offering in, say, hey, hold on a minute, can I ring that bell? <laughs> and then you just give it a good old wave before, while you're putting your, your, your uh, gift in. Like, it just sounds ridiculous that someone would do that. And that's what Jesus is, is displaying here. It's ridiculous the way some people were giving to the poor. It was not about the gift or taking care of somebody. It was about receiving honor and, and, uh, and goodwill from those around them. But almsgiving, of course, is more than just giving in general. But it's about giving to those in need who can't take care of themselves. Taking care of those who are less fortunate is indeed an act of faith. In fact, is a testimony to the very acts of God who continues to take care of his people when they are not able to take care of themselves, when they have struggled, when they have been without, when they have been the foreigner, when they have been the displaced, when they have been those who have had everything taken away. And then he moves to prayer. He says, prayer as another act of faith. He says, let's keep that secret. Now, some have taken this as a way of saying, well, let's not do prayer at all in public. No corporate prayers. Uh, some have even used this as a way of saying, you know, I don't even go to church anymore. I just do it all in secret in my own closet. After all, isn't that what Matthew 6 says? That, uh, uh, you know, everything should be privatized. Now, that's certainly a product of our times. We, are, we have hyper-focused on individualism over the last couple hundred years. Started with modern philosophy a long time ago. Uh, this this, this private uh, this prioritizing of the self and who I am, uh, it, it continued on and continued on. I mean, like, you think the French Revolution and even the American Revolution, like the way our constitutions uh, were written are uh, about the priority of the individual. Each person has these rights. 
And uh, that's, that's fine, like, that's not a critique, that's just a product of its times. No other countries before this kind of rise of the emphasis of the individual came about were written in that way. Turn of the 20th century, we have psychology gets developed, which is literally the study of the self. Not that psychology is bad or something like that. It's just that it is a part of that product of the times. And we have, over the last few hundred years, just continued to make the individual, the self, the, per, uh, uh, the, the kind of primary driving force of how we think of life and even sometimes how we read Scripture. And so it's hard sometimes to read this and think, oh, well, it just means everything is just about me that I'm just supposed to kind of step away and have these kind of private prayers, and it does. And it could very easily, on that kind of reading, make us think praying corporately doesn't make sense. Praying the Lord's Prayer together, why are we doing that? But in this time, there were significant times of prayer that the Jews would pray. Certain times of the day when they committed to prayer prescribed times, when, when at least three times a day where they would pray. And what they would do is during certain times of prayer, they had options of what they were going to do during their, these times of prayers. Are they going to go by themselves to pray? Are they going to make a big deal about, hey, look, it's a time of prayer, and look how I'm praying right now. And that's what Jesus is addressing. But what has happened over the history of Christianity is that those moments of prayer, as they became privatized, I think they became obsolete. How many of us commit to at least three times a day a time of prayer anymore? About the only regular prayers we have anymore are mealtime prayers and bedtime prayers. I'm convinced the more we have followed this kind of, oh, it's just all about me and what I do, uh, and that that's more important than committing to a group practice of faith, the more we've actually forgotten to pray. Think of how many times we've told someone, well, I'll pray for you, and yet we forgot. (laughs) Or how praying for you, or even praying hands emoji, has evolved into a statement of sympathy rather than a promise to actually engage in that person's needs to God the one who we believe wants to intercede on our behalf and often surprises us with his grace and what he wants to do in our life. That the last thing we should, as Christians, ever do is is turn and I'm praying for you into a just, oh, I feel bad for you. It should be a promise. I'm bringing your needs before our God. And so this this concern about prayer and talking about uh, praying in secret is not forgetting that we are called to pray together and alongside one another, but indeed uh, calling out those who would say, I'm going to make this moment of prayer a moment about myself, a moment about uh, uh, people seeing who I am. And so verse 6 is not a removal of corporate prayer at all. It's a reminder that when it's time to pray, let's just not make a spectacle about it. And so then they ask him, well, Lord, how should we pray then? Now, that's a weird question. I had somebody ask me that question once. How should I pray, Pastor? And I said, just make it your prayer. And, and I still remember when he said, well, Pastor, will you listen to me and tell me if it's okay? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's not, that, that, I wasn't trained to do that. That's not what we do. We don't evaluate prayers. I said, make it your own. But yet, they ask Jesus this too. And Jesus says, 
Here's a prayer for you. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to pause for a moment because I, 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 I'm going to tell you what I know about the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to tell you about why we pray it the way we do. I'm going to tell you about why it's important for us. But I want to pause for a moment because if I'm going to take seriously that still we are united together corporately and as much as we might pray this individually, we are still built up by one another and that that is still absolutely essential to the faith, I think it's important for perhaps for me to hear from you. Why do you pray the Lord's Prayer and how has the Lord spoken to you and praying that prayer. So I'm going to pause for a moment. I, I don't think I have in any of my years of preaching done this <laughs> and made this a responsive sermon. So let me ask you, Brenda. I'll go first. Okay. Um, it reminds me his will be done because I struggle with that. Yeah. And sometimes on the forgiveness part takes me a little longer. I think as I pray it, it reminds me that I need to bring my gang up a little Okay. All the time. Okay. I love that. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, Wanda. Hi. For me, I hear reliable guidance coming in. Um, and without it, makes me feel God's love and protection through that. Uh-huh. And so I, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, it, it's very powerful for me because I can feel it. I intellectually am getting, you know, produces something. And so, and the hand is God's love. And that's, you know, that is just so good. That's what it means for me. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. John. I kind of get two things. There's one of them is the first thing that he says is, uh, to, the, to the father is uh, his name would be hallowed. Uh-huh. And that's like, if I can only say one thing, that's the, the main thing that causes good in the earth is when people are connected to him. But that second thing uh, remains hard to define because uh, your kingdom come. Uh-huh. What is his kingdom is a big discussion. Yeah. That could be a sermon in itself. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you. Yeah, Jen. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is my earliest church memory. So I remember hearing the congregation's voices like, and hearing it echo around. We, I was in a big, huge church building when I was little. And so um, even though I didn't understand all the words, it was grounding. Uh-huh. And so it's easy to return to that. Yeah, it's grounding. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Anyone else? Fred. I guess, um, I mean, hope. Whole thing is uh, quite impressive when you think about it. Uh-huh. But the uh, one of the parts that strikes me the most is, is John Vincent, Thy Kingdom Come, and what kind of what role do I have in helping that occur? Yes. So uh, either individually or as a church or as uh, you know various other organizations I've been a part of. Yeah. So. It's a call, it's a call to action. It is, it is. Well, I mean, to that end, I mean, most Christians that have been around for any length of time know that prayer. So it's also a point where we kind of unite and come to Father's one as opposed to individuals as well. I mean, you can go either way, but it's an awesome point to watch everybody come together and say the same words and 
Yeah. I mean, he's a little different to everybody, but nonetheless. Yeah. We are united in, the, in that statement of faith, in that prayer of faith. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we hear certain people's voices, even if they're missing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to continue on in just a moment. Anyone else want to say something that uh, praying the Lord's Prayer has meant to you? I think the first sentence, Our Father who art in heaven, is just so beating. I'll So it's meant a lot to me. Thank you, Kathy. Dan. Over the years, I've found myself just repeating it, not thinking about it. And I came to a place, especially when we met at Al's house, uh-huh. after rolling the cog. I really felt the need to really meditate on what we were saying, book and went out prayers, and then most specifically in the Lord's Prayer. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interaction. It's, it's our Father who art heaven and that putting him in, not putting him in the place, but acknowledging his place. But also my beliefs, I, I still sometimes choke on the words mm-hmm. when I get to forgive, my, forgive our debts as I forgive my debtors. The bit is, which is, to really go through that prayer and meditate on every word and every line, is, it can be earth-shaking to me and it still is. Great. Great. Well, Lord, thanks for telling me to do this. <laughs> uh, this, this, is, you know, this. This is great. Thank you guys for sharing about that. Uh, this, this prayer has been so important uh, in, in the life of the church. Uh, it's been important for me to return to praying it every week since I've been here. Uh, and uh, it is indeed a blessing. Uh, the Lord begins, with, begins this prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. Or our, uh, we often pray it in the King James uh, Version, which is okay. I know I'm reading today from the uh, uh, NRSV, but... Our Father who art in heaven, or our Father in heaven, blessed be thy name. We're praying that the Lord is going to make his name holy in the lives of his creation. Because we know we're not making his name holy. He does that. But that his holiness would be made evident in his creation. That the meaning it has for us is going to spread and be meaningful and be evident in how the Lord acts all among us. Right. So we are praying that he's going to hallow his name. That his name becomes a word of praise in the lips of everyone. Isn't that our hope? That, that it would be words of praise rather than words of curse? <laughs> that we would look to the Lord as a source of strength and a source of of faith and hope for us, that our our attention indeed would be turned to Him. When we're praying, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is a lot to unpack. There is indeed a hope that uh, the whole point of this is that we are somehow asking the Lord, we want heaven not just to be something we look forward to, but something we, we are getting a glimpse of here and if we can be a part of that hope, if we can be a part of that glimpse, if we can help live the way we're supposed to be living in heaven today, that's a good thing. I think this part of the prayer 
does not allow us to say that there's, there's a way the kingdom operates and the way the world operates. As long as we live in this world, you know, we're just going to abide by its terms. If we know anything about this world, it's that it's upside down. It's not acting the way God wants us to act. Nations are destroying. People fight and quarrel. There's bullying. There's land grabs. There's emphasis of money over people. All kinds of different things that we recognize. Well, this is, this is the way the world is. But we believe that as commonplace as these are, <coughs> they are contrary to the way things should be. And we're going to refuse to live in a way that succumbs to the temptation to normalize them, no matter how much anyone else has done so. And, so we, and we refuse, not out of a sense of greater morality, but because we believe the Lord isn't content with normalizing everything that's wrong in this world. So it goes in the story of the flood, or the story of the Exodus, or the story of rebuilding of Jerusalem in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, the promise of redemption found throughout Scripture, culminating in the story of Jesus Christ. And so we live into this hope, and we live into this promise, into the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and commit ourselves to practicing it right now. One of my favorite uh, phrases I, I heard from a pastor when I was in college was, I don't think anyone will be surprised at Judgment Day. He says, I don't think anyone will be surprised because we are practicing today where we are going to live. And he says, and so uh, if we are practicing today where we're going to live, when God opens his arms and says, come on in, well done, good and faithful service, we've practiced obedience. If we've practiced disobedience, that should not come as a surprise. And so we are praying and trying to live out your kingdom come, your will be done today. He says, give us this daily bread. And that is, that's a weird thing to pray, isn't it? When we have far more daily bread in our, home, in our homes, we have enough bread in our home for whatever might come. The snow was getting ready to fall and some said, oh, you guys ready for the storm? Yeah, I'm ready. And we hadn't even gone to the store. <laughs> Part of it is because we're getting ready to go on vacation and we know we're not filling up our fridge just to leave it for a week. But no, we got, we, got, we got plenty in our cabinets. Refrigerators full. We have, uh, many of us have freezers with food in it. Cabinets with canned food that if somehow we ran out of food we liked and we were in a moment of extreme hunger, we could break over the can opener and find something in the back of that cabinet, right? Uh, and th- but this prayer harkens back to the days when a day laborer would have to work for their day's wages and those wages would be used to feed their family the next day. If they did not find work that day, then, it's, then their family's not eating the following day. It's really hard, I think, for a lot of us today to imagine that. We might have to go back to stories of grandparents or great-grandparents about the Great Depression, when stories were told about stretching yesterday's meal into today's meal by adding water and turning it into a soup. When stories were told about not having meat available every day. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, on the one hand, we do so with great thanksgiving for all that God has done and blessed and given. But on the other hand, when we pray that prayer, we have to absolutely remember those whose meals are not guaranteed who truly still struggle, the poor among us, for whom daily bread is indeed a real and pressing need. These words once again remind us the correlation between almsgiving and 
prayer as acts of faith, as we talked about earlier. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And there is so much to unpack unpack there. What are the debts that still exist today? Some, there are truly financial debts, concerns, things that someone might owe us that maybe we need to uh, 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 loose. But I think a lot of times we, there are debts that are intangible. When someone wrongs us, does something that we know uh, has wronged us, they now have a debt. And until it's paid, and who knows what they have to do to pay that back, we're going to hold on to that hurt. We're going to hold on to that. And, it's going to, and we're going to hold that against them because of something they have done that has taken away emotional value, that has taken away a sense of purpose of who we are, that has insulted us to the core. And they have to pay for it. And Jesus invites us to forgive just as our Heavenly Father forgives us. I will, I will take a moment to say um, uh, many of us, when praying this prayer, probably uh, prayed, uh, forgive us our trespasses, or trespasses, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And, um, uh, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's still scriptural. The word trespasses shows up in verse 14. And so without a doubt is a part even of the context but somewhere, I don't know why, um, I know when I was in college and learning, I, I found myself saying, why do we pray it this way and not the way it's actually written in the Bible? And so uh, I encouraged a church I first went to and was pleased to find out pastor, a pastor before me uh, encouraged this church also to switch the wording to let's pray debts and debtors just as it's written in Scripture. Even the, new, even the King James Version has debts and debtors, and so we do that. But the reason... Trespasses has become so popular is uh, when the faith was first being introduced in the English language. And in England and in the Church of England, praying in English, engaging in worship in English was, uh, in the native language, was very, very important in the Church of England. And so they made a big deal of, of, of making sure everything done in worship wasn't done in Latin like it was everywhere else in the world, but it was done in English. And so they had a book of common prayer, and they had this uh, way in which this is how the liturgy's done. The way we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer is this way, and they had translated it out. And they did this before there was a King James Version that existed, And so somewhere in the writing of this liturgy, they must have thought about verse 14 before they thought about verse 12 or somehow mistranslated the words or who knows what happened exactly there. But it it became a part of the liturgy to, to, to pray, forgive us our trespasses and just as we forgive those trespass against us. And so... This has, uh, and so that has just carried on and carried on and carried on. But it's okay. Uh, when, I, when I'm in a church and they pray that, that's okay. It's still scriptural. Um, that word even shows up in the verse right after the Lord's Prayer. But if you found yourself ever wondering when you first came here, why do we do debts and debtors? It's just because it's what is the actual word even in, in every English translation of Matthew chapter 6. 
But Jesus goes on and says, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil, from these trials of life uh, in, uh, in the New Revised Standard Version. And this is a way that just kind of mirrors a lot the temptation of Christ, that he dealt with this. In fact, we even heard about, read about the storm. That was, that was way worse than what we just dealt with, right? Forty days, 40 days that uh, he was up on the mountaintop. And so there's this recurring theme within Scripture of, of 40 days of trials or 40, days of, or 40 years of wandering, this, this number, this idea that sometimes sorrow and temptation comes and it lasts a while. And nobody goes searching for that. In fact, the prayer is, Lord, save us from this. In fact, it's mirrored with the phrase, uh, rescue us from evil. Those two, I think, are, are mirrored together. It's, it's Hebrew poetry of, re, of repeating the same idea, but with another emphasis. And whether we say evil or the evil one doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's basically saying the same thing. I want, we are just praying for God to deliver us from whatever is wrong in this world. Um, and basically, whether or not it's referring to evil in general or Satan is all just based on how you translate an article. If you've learned any other foreign languages, you know, like Spanish or French or whatever, they have an article before every noun. Greek is the same way. And so the question is, in all contexts, what we have to do is ask ourselves, is that just the article of the noun and we skip over it and say evil? Or, did, or is it uh, emphasizing the one who is evil? And so that's why sometimes you'll see a difference there. But the prayer is all the same. Lord, protect us from wherever evil might come and lead us not into temptation. The, uh, I'm going to step away from the scripture for just a moment, unless, of course, I were to read from the King James Version. The King James Version has that line that we pray every single week. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. It shows up in early Christian writings as, as early as the second century as a way of kind of closing out this prayer. And some very later editions of the Gospels and some of the early translations, it was, a, it was an ending that came into being from the church. It was, it was a practice that lasted for a long, long time and snuck into some of their later translations. And in particular, then it snuck into the King James Version because the wor- documents they were working out of to translate into English included, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But they tended to be later manuscripts that had been copied. And one of the things that happened in the 19th and 20th century is there was this like explosion of discovery of, of ancient manuscripts that hadn't been found before. Whether it was the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in, in the 20th century, that was the most popular one, even though I know that didn't include the New Testament. But that was just an example of just an explosion of different discoveries. And what they found is some of the earliest ones didn't have that last phrase. And so we find it missing in a lot of our newer translations. But yet, it has been a practice and prayer of the church for so long that we continue to pray that prayer. And that phrase, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, still finds a home in Scripture. King David prays a very similar prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 when he is getting ready to bless King Solomon and is hoping to build the temple. Uh, he prays this in 1 Chronicles 29 11. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, 
the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So it is indeed a a, a fitting salutation nonetheless. And so a lot of our scriptures miss that closing, but it has been a part of the faith of the church and the prayer of the church for now 1,800 years. Uh, And so we continue to pray that prayer. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about verse 14. A verse that's not considered a part of the prayer itself except where we borrow the word trespasses. The statement from Jesus seems to emphasize the closing of the prayer, forgive us our debts. Because he's all about returning to this idea of forgiveness of trespasses. The idea that he would emphasize that line Forgive us our debts and mirroring it with trespasses while skipping over the actual last line, lead us not into temptation, makes me think that the closing, lead us not into temptation, is related to how we forgive debts. To be freed from trial, to be rescued from temptation, to be rescued from evil in our life and in this world is to be found in living a forgiving life. In forgiveness, we find rescue. I think this is why we believe in evangelical circles, we often talk about seeking forgiveness for our salvation. It's why we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, because anyone who's ever been burned by somebody, just like absolutely torn apart by somebody, knows that forgiveness is often taken advantage of. But not when heaven comes to earth. Not when... uh, God's plan is at work. Not when we realize that this is God's plan, not just for eternity, but for right now. And so we are going to practice being a forgiving people. And perhaps God will bless and indeed keep us safe from the trials that might come even while practicing forgiveness. Part of participating in the coming kingdom to this earth is committing to living a forgiving life. And so I find that last statement in this prayer to kind of hold up forgiveness as absolutely essential to the whole nature of the prayer. Doing so invites God's kingdom, welcomes it, and hopes that we can be part of a kingdom that outshines the kingdom of this earth. And this is a part of what, God, of what Christ is inviting us to do in cooperation with and in following Jesus Christ, the one who has reached out and forgiven each one of us. And hopefully, we will receive his spirit to live faithfully into his promise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is, um, oh, there's, there's so much to be said about these words. Lord, I, uh, I still remember very firmly the sound voice of a former member here, Al, who would pray these prayers with us. His voice still echoes in my ears when we pray. Uh, These words are indeed grounding. They are indeed hopeful. They are powerful. They resonate with us. And there are phrases in here that have spoken to us in some very dark times. And I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to use these words time and time again in our life and in the history of the church. 
to show that you are the God who is with us, loves us, and cares for us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the, the meaning of these words would continue to go with us and be with us whenever we pray them. That even when it becomes repetition, that it is indeed just a moment of cementing it in our hearts and our minds so that when we need it, we can return to it yet again. Thank you again, Lord, for your grace. And thank you for the gift of prayer, that you are a God who listens, who always welcomes us to go before you, and that you listen, you care, and you desire to intercede. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for tying acts of prayer to giving and caring for one another. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be faithful in our life and our faith to those around us, communicating your grace and your goodness and your saving plan. And so now together, Lord, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve him today.